to your morning. I'm so glad that you guys decided to come out and join us here on this morning as we kick off this brand new series. It's called The Struggle is Real. Now, uh, Stephen just finished mentioning, guys, that we just wrapped up uh, a series where we focus on how we can honor God with our bodies. It was all about how we take care of our bodies, about how we can honor God with our bodies. We talked about the New Year's resolutions that a lot of you guys have set in order to, uh, to try to, uh, you know, work on that six-pack of abs or to try to, you know, chisel up and tone up a little bit or whatever. And we spoke about uh, some of this stuff about how we can honor God with our bodies. God created our bodies, and he created it for us to care uh, for us. And what we do with our body, it matters. It really does matter. So we encourage each other, right? We encourage each other to take care of our physical selves. Now, in conjunction with the physical, we also had a spiritual emphasis. Um, as a church, we did 21 days of prayer together. Uh, thank you guys so much for those of you that participated in the 21 days of prayer with us. We had a prayer journal that we were able to pray together and some Bible verses and some prayer prompts that we were able to share with each other, a journal that you guys were able to download um, online and follow along uh, with and, and be able to just uh, pray with and for each other. Of course, the physical is important and so is the spiritual. Now today, we're kicking off a series where we're going to examine our mental and our emotional health. Now, you're probably asking yourself a question. You're probably saying, Danny, why? Why are we going to do a series about this? And the answer to that question is because it all matters. Everything matters. The physical, the spiritual, the emotional, and the mental. It all matters. You know, in the Bible, there's a verse in the Bible that says that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And guys, God cares for you as a whole person. God cares about the whole person. He cares about you all together. And perhaps this is the first time that you hear this. Perhaps you've never heard this before. Maybe the soul makes sense for you. Yeah, of course, God loves my soul. He sent Jesus to die for my soul so that my soul can be saved. And maybe that makes sense. But, but everything else kind of you never heard of before. Perhaps you never heard about these other facets of your life. You, they truly matter. They really do matter now, but they also matter to God. Now, I want you guys to answer this question. Think about this for a second. You don't have to answer it out loud. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. Just think about it. What do these characters in the Bible have in common? Let me list a couple of these, uh, of these characters. The great King David, the one that killed you know, Goliath, that guy. Moses, the guy with the Ten Commandments and the beard. Jeremiah. Job. Jonah. We did a whole series in the book of Jonah last year. How about the prophet Elijah? And what about Jesus? All those characters that I just mentioned in the Bible, what do they have in common? Do you know? All these characters, they all battle with seasons of depression, of sadness, or anxiety. Every single person that I named from the Bible all had a battle with one of those things. Now, perhaps... This wouldn't pop into your mind immediately, and I think that's for a couple of reasons. First of all, maybe some of y'all need to dust the Bible off and open it up and read it so that you can see it for yourselves and see that it's in there. But secondly, I think it's because the topic of anxiety and depression and our mental and emotional well-being and our emotional health, it can be taboo. It's a taboo topic within the church at large. You don't hear it spoken of. Uh, very often. It's just kind of one of those elephants in the room that we just kind of sweep under the rug and we don't talk about it much. But as I mentioned, God loves you. And He loves your whole self. 
mind, body, and soul. So we want to open up the discussion here at church. But beyond the dialogue that we can have about it, we want to open up the Bible. We want to open up God's Word, and we want to listen from God's Word. And we want to see what sort of insight and what sort of encouragement, what kind of hope can we get from God's Word. And then ultimately, we want to see how the Gospel connects to this all. How does the Gospel connect to everything that we're just talking about here? How does the Gospel bring us hope? How does it bring us relief? How does it bring healing when it comes to our mental and emotional health? Now, I feel like i got to give this caveat here, I don't think what you're going to find is uh, within the next four weeks, a magical solution to all your problems to magically cure your anxiety or depression or whatever it is that you're struggling with. That's not the intention of this series. And so if you're thinking that's what I'm saying, scratch that and put it to the side because that's not what I'm saying. That this topic of what, what, what so many of you, what so many of us deal with, honestly, is so huge. It's so large. It's such a big thing. It takes way more than four weeks to discuss it. But we do want to dialogue about it. We do want to have a conversation about it. We do want to begin the conversation. And we do want to try to seek some answers in God's Word. Today we want to begin our series by looking at a portion of Scripture that Stephen just read. It's from the book of Luke. And Luke is one of the four, four Gospels. If you open up uh, to the New Testament, there's four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke was a doctor, a medical doctor. And he went on a journey to try to figure out who this Jesus guy was and to corroborate all the evidence and make sure that what people were following was true. That's who Luke is. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He was just a doctor that went on a journey to document everything for us. And now between the book of Luke and the book of Acts, we have one of the largest contributions to the New Testament because a medical doctor went on a journey, on a spiritual journey to figure this out. And so this is who we are reading from the book of, of Luke. And, and he's, he's kind of documenting the beginning of Jesus' ministry here. Uh, so here's what's happening. Jesus is in the very beginning of his ministry. His ministry includes this. It includes teaching. It includes preaching. It includes healing the sick. And it's calling people to repentance. That's what Jesus is doing. Now to help him in his ministry, Jesus recruits 12 guys. He recruits 12 men. Now, these dudes are probably some of the least likely people that you would ever think. In fact, if you were to assemble your dream team, I'm pretty sure these guys wouldn't make your list. But Jesus did. He chose these guys. Uh, but while Jesus would minister to literally hundreds and thousands of people, he really only invested his time in these 12 guys. Like He really did life with these people. And he would eventually trust these men to continue his ministry forward. Now, specifically in today's passage... He's calling one of the least likely people that you would think to recruit. And here's why. His name is Levi or Matthew. If you have in your notes the Bible verse that's there, the translation calls him Levi. The name is interchangeable. Some people had two names. They were known by both. Levi is Matthew. So if that helps you remember, okay, Matthew, he has a book in the Bible, one of the 12 disciples, then maybe just jot a note right there in your notes. Levi is Matthew. It's the same. It's uh, two different names for the same guy. And his profession, guess what? It's a tax collector. His job is a tax collector. Now, why is that a big deal? Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you have friends that work for the IRS? Exactly, right? That's why that's a big deal, right? It's the same, you know, back then as it was now, right? Tax collectors, they were feared and they were hated by people. Oftentimes, they would steal from people by taking more than they were supposed to so that they could feed their own pockets, so that their pockets could grow. And on top of that, they were collecting taxes 
for the oppressive and godless Roman government. Right? So a, a Jewish tax collector was not only seen as a thieving sinner, but he was seen as a traitor to his own people as well. How can you collect taxes for the government that is oppressing us? So this is who Jesus is calling. Yet Jesus calls Matthew and he tells him to follow him. He tells Matthew, follow me. And as a result, Matthew not only obeys Jesus' calling, but he decides to throw a party. And at this party, he invites all his tax-collecting buddies, all his sinning buddies. He invites them all over. Oh yeah, and by the way, Jesus gets an invite as well. So he's throwing this party. All his tax-collecting friends are coming over, and Jesus is coming. And Jesus is like, yeah, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to go. And Jesus goes to this party. But of course, there's always this, this, these people. You guys know who they are. But when the Pharisees, the scribes, and the religious, that's, they were like the religious elite. They were like the pastors and the rabbis of their day. Everybody looked up to these Pharisees and the scribes. When they get wind of what's going on, they ain't hearing it. They don't like the idea. And in their minds, someone like Jesus and the disciples, they shouldn't be hanging out with a bunch of losers like these tax collectors, like these, these, like these, uh, these, these thieves, these sinners. What is Jesus doing over there? He's a Bible teacher. He's a prophet. He's a miracle worker. What is he doing hanging out with these sinful people? What is he doing hanging out with Matthew and his tax collecting friends? You see, in the eyes of the religious elite, Matthew and his friends, they were damaged goods. They were no good. These were people with deep issues. And a party with them was no place for Jesus and the disciples to be. And in their complaining, they say this. In Luke chapter 5, verse 30, you have it there in your notes and it's on the screen. Luke 5.30 says, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? This is what they're bringing up. This is what the Pharisees are bringing up. This is what they're saying. What are you doing eating and drinking with these people? To the Pharisees, the people Jesus was hanging out with, they were all jacked up. These are messed up people. These were people far from God and they didn't want anything to do with them. And maybe when it comes to your emotional or when it comes to your mental health, maybe you feel the same way. You feel like you're damaged goods. Maybe you feel like you're a mess. Maybe dealing with your anxiety or your fits of depression, maybe it makes you feel like an outcast. Like no one else would understand your struggle. Like no one else would understand what you're going through. But you see... I love Jesus' response to the Pharisees. And I think what he helps us see is that we need to be honest with ourselves. In fact, number one in your notes is this. We ought to admit, admit you don't have it all together. Admit that you don't have it all together. I think if we're ever going to experience any sort of healing or any sort of forward movement when it comes to this area of our mental and our emotional health, we need to learn that it's okay to not be okay. Luke 5.31, this is Jesus' response to them. They're saying, Jesus, what are you doing hanging out with these damaged people, with these messed up people? And Jesus says this, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor. Read the last part with me. Ready, go. But those who are sick. It's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but it's those who are sick. And with this simple response, Jesus was saying that in order to receive any help, you have to acknowledge your need for it. So often we're unable to receive any sort of healing 
Because we're unwilling to admit that we need help. The problem of the Pharisees and the scribes was that they thought they didn't have a problem. That was their issue. They looked at everyone else's broken. They looked at everyone else like if they had issues, they had problems, but they didn't see their own brokenness. But Jesus' response was somewhat of a burn. He says, just in, a few, in just in a few words, you think you got it all together, huh? You, you think you got it figured out, that's fine. Because I came to help those that know that they need help. And I think this is very freeing for us. And here's why. Because we can, we can admit that we don't have it all figured out. Nobody here has it figured out. Amen. And it doesn't matter if you're a leader, if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you have a degree. You don't have it all figured out. That we truly are people that are broken. And that we are in desperate need. And that we struggle with very real emotions and, and heartache and, and fears and worries. Everybody that's here. And that includes all of us. Jesus wasn't saying that the Pharisees had it all together. If anything, so much of his ministry was helping them see that they didn't have it figured out. That they too were broken. He was also always calling them on their stuff. He was calling them that they were also sinful and that they were hurting people just as much in need as the tax collector or the prostitute or the thief. And in opening up the discussion and talking about our mental and our emotional well-being, we need to be fine with the fact that it's okay to not be okay. That we don't have to pretend that we have it all together and hiding the fact that we're hurting inside. And as a church, we need to be a place a welcoming place for people to realize that it's okay to not be okay because at the end of the day, that is every single one of our situations. In fact, the beginning of healing is admitting of brokenness. That's the very beginning of healing. You cannot be positioned to receive help that you don't admit to need. You cannot be positioned to receive help that you don't admit you need. Here's where you need to begin, that you are in need. And as a church, we need to have the same thought as Jesus. That our church is not a museum of saints, but a hospital for the broken. Because we all see ourselves in the same place. We're all broken. And while we may all experience different levels or different seasons of brokenness, we're all still patients in the hospital. And Jesus is the great physician. Not me, not the pastor. Jesus is. Only Jesus. And that means that as a ch the church has to be a safe place where it's okay to not be okay. And the church ought to be a safe place to have these dialogues and to have this conversation. And with that truth, I hope that you'll see this, number two in your notes, that you're not alone. But you're not alone. Check out this detail that maybe you may have overlooked in today's passage. In Luke chapter 5, verse 29, it says this, then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Him, he's talking about Jesus, but check this out. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. Did you guys catch that? Maybe you want to circle it. That there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others that were with them. Here's what's interesting. Levi or Matthew, it's the same person once again, was not alone. He was in a home full of people just like him, in the same condition as him. In other words, people who were just in much need of Jesus as he was. Broken, sinful, hurting, beautifully imperfect people. 
just like him. There was a whole house full of them. And if you find yourself battling with anxiety or battling with depression or worry or fear, it can feel like you're all alone. It can feel like you're by yourself. No one understands. You might convince yourself that no one else understands what you're going through. Or that you're the only one that has the experiences that you do. And nobody else gets me. Nobody else understands. I'm the only one that really deals with this. But nothing can be further from the truth. You're not alone. And I believe that one of the tactics of our spiritual enemy is to try and get you to believe that you are alone. You know why? So that you can isolate yourself. So you can separate yourself. So that you can hide. So you can lock the door. So, you, so that you don't tap into the beautiful resource that is other broken people encouraging each other in their walk with Christ. We'll talk more about the importance of community in this series because this is such a huge part of what God has given us to help us through the, mo- the mental and emotional battles that we face. But you know there's something comforting about knowing that you're not alone. Guys, right here, right now in this room, There are people who have faced, are facing, and will face some of the same struggles that you have or are. And what that means is that in this room, we ought to be a family that is willing to stand up with and for one another. That means that there's no one here that is alone, unless you want to be. There's nobody here that needs to be isolated, unless you want to be, unless you choose to. That's easy to do. It's easy to isolate yourself. It's easy to go into hiding. Lock yourself in the room. Don't go to church. Don't pursue others. Don't text. Don't call. That's easy. That's so easy to do. You know what's not? Recognizing that you're not alone. And that there's other people in your church family that love you. That care for you. And that have gone through some of the things that you're going through. Or going through similar struggles themselves. That's not easy to do. You're not alone. The the enemy may want you to believe that's true, but you're not. It's simply not true. You're not alone. And above all, besides having your church family with you, you're not alone because number three, Jesus is here for you. Jesus is here for you. Jesus, I love Jesus' response. Uh, Sometimes he's such a smart addict. And some of his responses, he says... It's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Jesus is saying that since those who think they are well don't need him, then he's here for those who know they do. For those who admit they need him, he's going to be there. Jesus says that he did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. A key ingredient to receiving Christ with you and in you is to acknowledge your need of Him. You see, for the Pharisees, they were so close to Jesus. They had proximity. They can touch Him. They can feel His breath when He spoke. They were so close to Him, yet they missed Him entirely. And the reason being was that they were, they were blind of their need for Him. But for those who were able to recognize their need for Jesus... They were able to find him. Those who knew they were sick were ultimately exposed to the great physician who could heal their disease. Do you recognize that Jesus is also here for you? 
Do you recognize that Jesus is also here for you? He's here to bring comfort. He's here to bring healing. He's here to strengthen you. But He's also here as one who understands your pain and experience your pain. Now perhaps, I know some of your thoughts, you're saying that you haven't been able to find Jesus. Oh yeah? I've tried that, Daniel. I've tried to find Jesus. Could it be because you have not truly sought out after Him? Could it be because you haven't genuinely and sincerely sought after Jesus? Then I went to a church. I prayed a prayer. I read a verse. Did you genuinely seek Jesus? Because the Bible says that those who seek Him will find Him. And how do we seek Jesus? You follow Him. I love the way the author describes Jesus' interaction with Matthew. Let's go back to the beginning of this passage. Luke 5, 27 and 28. I love the way he describes this. Look at this. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. Remember, that's Matthew. It's the same person sitting at the tax office, sitting in his government at the cubicle at the IRS office. And he said to him, follow me. Look at verse 28. This is so powerful. This is so powerful. This is what some of you need to do. This is what you, some of you haven't done. Verse 28, so leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Hallelujah. See, our mental and our emotional health is, is, health is super important. But the greatest need that we have is not that, but a spiritual one. It's where before a holy and perfect God, we fall incredibly short. Our sin cripples us before God. But God in His great love and His great mercy and His great compassion, He made a way out through Jesus. And Jesus embodied God in the flesh. And He lived a perfect and sinless life. But then He willingly laid down His life as a sacrifice. And on the cross, He bore the weight of our sin. And on the cross, He hung His head and He died. But three days later, he conquered the grave and He returned to rule and reign as King. And in His death we have the forgiveness of our sin. And in His life we have newness of life. Jesus said two simple words to Matthew. Follow me. And in that moment, Matthew had a decision to make. Would he follow Jesus or would he go on his merry way? Matthew chose to drop what he was doing to go and follow Jesus. What will you do? What are you going to do? As we talk about these topics, one of the major things you need to realize is that Jesus is with you, even through those challenging times. Maybe even especially during those challenging times. Sometimes, as one who can heal you miraculously, our God has the power to heal you. Sometimes, as someone who has walked in your shoes, and knows what you're going through. And who is sympathetic to your struggle. Jesus is here for you. Now for some of you, you, you need to start in square one. That is to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You need to get off your throne and make Jesus king. That's right. Amen. And so if that's you, if you want to make that decision, that's an extremely personal decision between you and God. And I'm not going to coerce you, force you, make you. That's between you and God. But if you wanted to, you can 
Say a prayer in your heart, right there in your seat. Nothing special. A prayer that says, God, I don't want to be king in my own life. And I recognize my need for sin, my need of sin, what I, my need for you and my sin, and I want to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. I want to give it to you, God. I want to give my life to you. A prayer that simple, to surrender your life to Jesus. Now, that's a, that's a personal decision between you and God. But if you made that decision, I would love to come around you and support you and encourage and your church family would love to celebrate what God is doing. And so we have a very simple way for you to let us know. Um, it's a, a very kind of private way so that then we can celebrate it publicly later on. And that's that connection card. If everybody would take out that connection card real quick and notice that on the back, there's some next steps for all of us to take. One, maybe to get baptized, maybe uh, to come back and join us next Sunday and finish off the series. And maybe to grab a cup of coffee with someone that can hear some of your struggles. But if it's to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to take that step if that's you. If the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart and you know that's what God is calling you to do. And I want to encourage you, go ahead and take that next step. And as your church family, we want to come around you and celebrate and support you. If you guys have noticed, this series is not going to be full of a lot of jokes. It's not going to be very humorous. It's a very serious topic. And, uh, and I hope that uh, even in the young life of our church, we'll be able to be mature enough to kind of see what God's word has to say because it's a very real issue. But I believe that God's word has very real answers. And, and I believe that as a church family, uh, th- this is a big part of what the solution that God wants to bring to help you, mind, body, and soul. Do you guys join me in prayer? God, help us be a church where it's okay to not be okay. I pray that that wouldn't just be a slogan, God, a cute saying. God, that at Swerve Church, that would be truth. Help us see that we're not alone because so often in uh, this struggle, it can seem like that and our spiritual enemy can lie to us, God. We, We all struggle with emotional and mental hardships at times. Help us reject the enemy's lie to make us believe that we're isolated, that we must isolate and we must be alone. Jesus, help us see all the ways that you are here for us. Whether that is as a healer or whether that is as someone who can relate to us and is with us through the stormy seasons. Through the remainder of this series, God, I pray that you would do a good work inside of us and help bring about healing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.